Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Titus 2, saved by grace, kept by grace, he's coming again. But we live in a school of grace, and there's a response to this grace, and here's what grace teaches us. It teaches us godliness. I've said several times in the previous messages, a God-centered or God-dominated life is a good definition of godliness, and here's what uh, this grace teaches us. It instructs us, look at verse 12, grace is still the subject from verse 11, grace instructs us to what? To deny ungodliness, the opposite of godliness, obvious, and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. There's a present age and there's an age to come which will be initiated by the second coming of Christ. Grace trains us, ESV, to renounce The nuance here is to renounce on an ongoing basis ungodliness and worldly passions. NIV, grace teaches us, verse 12, to say no to ungodliness. Grace is a teacher. All of us are in the school of grace. Now that we've been saved by grace, grace teaches us. And we're in class now for the rest of our lives. And we respond, yes, Mrs. Grace. Good morning, class. Good morning, Mrs. Grace. Grace now instructs us how to live. Grace is our teacher. And so we are to say, as she teaches us, yes, no to ungodliness, but yes to what we should do. I'll talk about the yes in a second. But look at verse 12 again. Grace teaches us, the NIV says, to say no. In the 80s, uh, Nancy Reagan came up with a campaign for the war on drugs. Some of you may remember this if you were around in the 80s. And the campaign was just say no. Remember? And so she was interviewed on all kinds of programs. And if you look it up on the internet today, some people will say, it didn't work, it didn't help anybody. Drugs are still a terrible epidemic. Oh, they certainly are. But Nancy Reagan was interviewed and she said, if we could just help one child say no to drugs, then we, have, we will have succeeded. Grace teaches us to say no to certain things. No. It's always a crack up when you uh, have little kids and they say no to you for the first time. <laughs> and it's kind of cute and kind of scary at the same time. You ever been there before? Little Johnny, even before mommy and daddy comes out, nah, nah. And you're like, where did that kid get that? From you? Because what did you do in the early training of this child? They touch it now. <laughs> Especially things that were on tables that they can get at, right? No, 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 no. Now they say it and you're shocked, right? Where did he get that? 
Grace teaches us to say no. To what? To things that would hurt us. Now, when a child wants something, let's say you're in the store with the little kid, maybe your child. If it's your grandchild, you just give them whatever they want. Right? Isn't that payback for all grandparents? Go ahead, have the candy. I'm going to send you home in two hours anyway. <laughs> Let them clean it up. <laughs> We're waiting on that time to come. But anyway, so the little kid, if you say, no, you haven't had your dinner yet, you're going to have dinner for, I want it Have you ever seen one of these in the store? It's always much more convenient if it's not your child. Then you're like, jeez, what's wrong with those parents? Disaster. Can't you kid your, teach your kids some manners, man? That kid ought to be smacked. <laughs> right? But when it's your own kid, you're like, oh, shoot. Are there any video cameras in here? <laughs> Why do you say no to that kid? Well, it could be sugar's bad for the teeth. It could be, you don't want them to get in the habit of getting everything they want. So you say, no. And so they throw the tantrum. And here's where the test of your boundaries comes, right? Are you going to hold your boundary? Sometimes we just get so tired. Like, whatever, I don't care. Eat it all. Till it's coming out of your eyes. <laughs> And all God's people said, all right, yeah, I know. The word that grace teaches us is a word that's used in Ephesians 6, that fathers need to train their children in the fear and what? Admonition of the Lord or discipline of the Lord. The word train is a word, when you look it up in Greek, it has the idea of training a child all the way through Childhood and teen years. It's instruction, it's training, it's discipline, it's encouragement, it's all of that. We're in the school of grace and we're learning, right? And some things we just have to say no to. As much as our flesh screams out for it, we just have to say no and hold the boundary. You with me? Because your flesh is going to go. Grace, that doesn't sound like grace to me. <laughs> oh, it is. Because we want to do things that are good for us now, right? Healthy for our spiritual life. I've been telling you in a lot of these epistles, when doctrine is used, it's the word sound is put before it. It means healthy. We want to do things that are healthy for this life of grace now, right? We don't want to do things that are counterproductive. We don't want to put on the old garments. We don't want to wallow in the mud anymore. Brian Chapel and R. Kent Hughes write this story in a commentary on Titus. They say, when El Nino's rain deluged Southern California one recent winter, the potential dangers of mudslides became a real nightmare for one family. While the family was still in their home, a wave of mud tore through the house, severing it and sweeping a sleeping baby out into the night. 
The parents began to search through the darkness for the child, tromping through mire that had descended upon their whole neighborhood. They searched, dug, and called for their child throughout the long night without results. When morning came, a rescuer himself covered in mud came to the parents with a mud-caked bundle in his arms. The baby filthy, but alive. You know what that mother did? She clung to her child despite its filth, washed the muck away, and determined to keep that child out of the mud in the future. Can I give you an application? Stay out of the mud. Now, I know when we were younger, we liked to play mud football. Anybody? So whenever it, it rarely, I saw a girl raise her hand. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. Yeah. War paint on your face. Come on. Those were younger days. Now, no mud football. <laughs> right? Well, the Lord embraces us in our mud. There's a lot of people who think, oh, I, here's what I'll do. This is the famous statement from unbelievers. I'll clean up my life, then I'll come visit your church. No. Just come as you are, because you aren't going to clean up your own life. You need to let the Lord do that. Illustration, you don't stand outside a shower and say, I'll come in as soon as I get clean. <laughs> no. No, you let the shower do its work. The purpose of a shower is to cleanse you. So 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look, we've all fallen in the mud even after becoming Christians probably more times than we'd like to admit. But grace and the school of grace that we're in now, because we've been saved by this amazing grace, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Look at verse 12. And worldly desires, I don't think that's hard to define. The world has a system, it has a way. In much of the world, it's an anti-God system. They don't want to hear about it. And so the Christian is to deny ungodliness. The opposite of a God-dominated life is a self-dominated life. That's ungodliness. It's a life dominated by self. I want nothing to do with God. Just look at the word, ungodliness. I want nothing to do with God and nothing to do with his ways. That's the world. And the Christian says, I want everything to do with God and everything to do with his ways, amen? Because this is my new life. And so, worldly desires are just that, the things that the world craves, and it could include a long list of decisions that we make, how we spend our time, talent, and treasure, our sexual ethics, our language, our commitment to marriage, the covenants that we make and hopefully keep. Everything now aligns to this God who saved me by grace. Amen? I don't get to define it for myself now. 
I've been saved by a God of grace, but he has expectations, and his expectations are, I, I, I'm putting you in school now. I know it's going to take some time. We can all be of good cheer, right? We're in school for many years, pretty much in school our whole lives, right? You never stop learning. You never stop growing. So be of good cheer. You're saved by grace. You don't earn it. But the rest of your life, you're in a school teaching you to deny worldly appetites, an anti-God mindset. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael Lance and this is Living Truth Radio and we'll be back to the teaching in a moment. I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available at Living Truth Radio. It's a book that I've written called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's all about spiritual warfare. It's all about how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's a special offer. Go to our website, livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button. And for any donation, we will send you a copy of that book. Just let us know in the contact form that you'd like a copy of that book. And now, back to the teaching. You know, when you get into the weeds of the world, that's pretty much what motivates the world is an anti-God mindset, verse 12. And here's the positive. We're to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Three positives. We deny ungodliness and worldly desires. Two negatives. The positives are Live a sensible life, live a righteous life, and live a godly life in this present age because this present age isn't all that there is. That's the difference between you as a believer and a non-Christian. A non-Christian, whether they admit it or not, thinks this is all that there is. So they're living for all the gusto they can get right now. And even the gusto they get oftentimes doesn't do anything for them. Sometimes it's a moment of pleasure and they still feel regret. They still feel emptiness. And you come along wearing the clothing of light. Ah! <laughs> In the company. Shoot. <laughs> it's Monday morning, dude. Why are you so shiny? People putting on their sunglasses around you. Because I've been touched by grace. That's why I live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age because I'm not just living for this, this present age. I'm living for what verse 13 says. I'm looking, you have the ESV, NIV, it says I'm waiting for something called the blessed hope. That is the appearing, second use of epiphany here. The first coming is in verse 11. The second coming is in verse 13. I'm looking for the epiphany, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. You might want to mark this verse because this is a verse that is unambiguous, definite. Jesus Christ is God. He is our great God and Savior. Now, some people say, oh, no, no, no. Titus 2.13 has to be separated. There's a great God and then Jesus is our Savior. No, the Bible teaches over and over again that Jesus Christ is God, second person of the Holy Trinity, right? 100% man, 100% God. He is God, and Titus 2.13 says, we are waiting for the arrival. By the way, when you survey the New Testament, you don't see 
Verses that teach the Father is coming again. Who's coming again? The Son. He's coming. And every eye will see him, right? The Father sent the Son at the first coming. And I think the New Testament evidence is strong that the one who's coming again is the Son, amen? He made the first epiphany, and he's making the second appearing The Son is the subject, therefore I take the verse clearly that Jesus Christ is our God and Savior, and he is the one who is appearing. We're looking for the appearing of what? The glory. Now, when he was here in the first epiphany, he kind of veiled his glory in humanity. Remember when he was up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he showed some of that glory, right? Zip down the jacket a little bit. Oh! (laughs) on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? And he was, the glory cloud was there and Moses and Elijah appeared with him. It's kind of a foretaste of what is coming. And here's what I believe is gonna happen. I believe that when the sun, moon, and stars go out in the end times, that in a darkened sky, the glory of this one who is God is going to appear again. This is what the Bible teaches in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. Let's just take a peek at Luke 21 because I think hopefully this will excite us as Christians. Here's what we're looking for. We're looking for the appearing of the glory. Luke 21. And that is of our great God and Savior. Luke 21, 25. Some hard stuff is in this chapter that relates to the fall of Jerusalem and then to a future hard time for humanity. And Jesus is speaking and he says, Luke 21, 25, there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, 21, 25, and upon the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. Men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man. That's a way to describe the Messiah. And he will be coming in a cloud with what? Power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Flip over to Matthew 24 for a second. Matthew 24. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at the same content is here. And Jesus is talking about his second coming. This is 2427 of Matthew. He says, For just as the lightning, Matthew 2427, comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Just a simple idiom. It'll be as plain as the nose on your face or when vultures are flying above something that has died on the ground. Matthew 24, 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and and they, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. 
You can write down Revelation 1-7 there. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with what? Power and great glory. Here's the appearing of the glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. And they, the angels, will gather together his elect. I believe this is the rapture here. And this tells us something about the rapture. The angels are doing the gathering, gathering the elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. I'm hoping that Michael's gonna pick me up because I kind of like that name. Anyway, <laughs> let's go back, go back to Titus. Jesus talks about his glory several times in his sermons. He says the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father, Matthew 16, 27. He says in Matthew 25, 31, then the Son of Man, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. What are we looking for? The appearing of the glory. His glory is going to make a display in the sky. 1 John 3, 1 through 3 says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. The second coming, I live in the light of the second coming. That's part of the school of grace. I live in the light of an age to come. And in the ages to come, God is going to show me the exceeding riches of his grace. He's going to show me a, a shining city and a place where it says there are many mansions. Amen? It doesn't say apartments. It says mansions. <laughs> At least in one of the translations. Dwelling places. This is the blessed hope. The blessed hope, Titus 2.13, would include Jesus' return. This is why it's blessed. The resurrection and rapture. The union of believers with the living Christ. The deliverance of believers from persecution, in my view. The appearing of the glory, the second epiphany, will include his return, the resurrection, the rapture, and a great reunion. That's a blessed hope, amen? amen. Let me say it one more time. The blessed hope will include the resurrection of the dead in Christ, the rapture of the church, the union of believers with the living Christ, or reunion, and then... He's going to judge the world, and I believe then is when we're going to have a new heavens, a new earth, or a new Jerusalem to inhabit. This is the blessed hope. And the biblical word for hope is not I hope so, it's I know so. It's just a matter of time. He's coming in God's time, and I want to be ready when he comes. Romans 8 says, we know the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of, fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. We're waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. 
I am making more and more what I used to call Uncle Frank noises. <laughs> My Uncle Frank would bend over for things and go, ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> Mostly to try to garner compassion from the younger folks in the house. Can you get me that? Ooh, it hurts when I, re ooh. <laughs> We're groaning within ourselves. Waiting for what? The redemption of our body. This is the blessed hope. Amen? So many deaths around us. People die. Disease, death, and, and sometimes we say, is this the end of the story? No, we have a blessed hope. The appearing of the glory. He's coming again, folks. We are waiting for the hope of righteousness, Galatians 5.5. 5. In us, this riches, the riches of the grace of God has been made known. The glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, Titus 2.14 says, Jesus Christ gave himself. He gave himself, Titus 2.14, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. He gave himself that he might redeem us. See that word, redeem? That's the idea of buying out or buying back. He bought us with the price. The old saying, and you know, this is outdated, but it's true, sermonettes produce Christianettes. And if you get a sermonette, 20, 30 minute sermonette, you don't have to really dig around in your Bible. The scriptures are put up on the screen for you. There's, so you don't have to take your Bible. For a lot, in a lot of places you don't. Um, then you're not being a Berean. You're not really examining what's being said. You're just kind of whatever you get, you get. And uh, you're not getting into the substance of the word. And, and I, even though I'm, I'm giving a break to those who are doing topical series teaching, I would just encourage pastors who are listening, just teach through a book of the Bible. It's, there's no, nothing wrong with doing a series every now and then, but I would say the main thrust of your pulpit ministry should be the, since God's already spoken <laughs> and the order of these books are there for a reason, mm -hmm. just teach through them. You won't have any Saturday night jitters. You'll know exactly what you're going to do next week and you'll have to do your homework and you're going to have to deal with pretty much every topic because some uncomfortable topics are going to come up if you teach a whole book and you can't skip them and it's going to keep you more accountable as a teacher. So that, that would be my exhortation to a pastor who's listening, but also to a person who's considering a home church. Well, as someone who loves to read the Bible and to be taught, my wife and I, we enjoy going book by chapter by verse. We really can't do these topical studies, but that's just us. Some people do need to still be fed that way. But what we were looking for is uh, what you and the other pastors here provide. And we do want to be taken through everything. What does God say about this subject? And eventually, if you teach the Bible, you will come to that subject. It may be uncomfortable, but obviously man through his sinful nature throughout time, things were written of for these things to help answer yes. for us. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.